Hey, before we get started, we just want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Church Sound Made Simple. Mixing sound seems complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Cut the overwhelm by getting access to the stress-free, no-fluff training that will help you create great sound at church. Visit churchsoundmadesimple.com. Well, welcome to the Collaborate Worship Podcast, where we help you create great sound at church. I'm your host, Cade Young, and today I'm joined by Christian Knuckles. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Cade. Dude, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, and I'm really glad that you're with us, and I know our listeners will be too. But before we get started, let me tell you all a little bit about Christian. He started leading worship at age 15, and even started a band back then called Six Foot Midget. Perfect name for a teenage band, right? Christian, you have to tell us where that name came from. Yeah, so that was my ska band in the uh, in in 1999. I started with some of my friends uh, a Christian ska band, and uh, that was not our original name. But we we didn't like our original name. There were other bands with the name. We our name was Flipside originally. Flipside ska. There were other bands in town with that same name. Other bands all around the world with that same name, probably. And so a friend of mine was in algebra class with me one morning and we were just coming up with silly band names that were oxymoronic in nature. And, you know, uh, you know, 300 pound wuss and stuff like, you know, stuff like that. Um, and six foot midget was one of the ones that, that he actually came up with. This guy was not in the band at all or anything. And so I stole that and brought it to like band practice. I was like, guys, six foot midget. And somehow it stuck or they voted and, and somehow that became our name. And yeah, we, we were together till 2003 and did a lot of fun things. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, although Six Foot Midget is no longer together, Christian has still been songwriting ever since and uh, has even shared the stage with some bands like Thousand Foot Crutch and Sonic Flood. That's awesome, man. You're currently the worship leader at Battle Creek Church and your most recent album, Alive and Free, was released just last year. And it's available everywhere. So I got to ask you, man, why are you so passionate about writing songs? Well, I've been writing songs since I was, you know, a kid, really. Um, I wrote a song for my for my youth group talent show when I was like 13. It was the first time I ever like played a guitar and sang on a stage. Um, we were trying to do a fundraiser for camp, for youth camp. And everybody did these different numbers and... I wrote this song about my grandpa who had died and like it I guess it touched the heart of a lot of people. I have I really don't really remember how the song went. It was probably terrible. But I remember that that was just uh, a really cathartic experience for me and um found myself writing songs for like school projects and uh you know if you had to do like an oral report I had some cool teachers that would let me write a song instead, you know, <laughs> instead of giving an oral report uh all through high school and um I uh, always loved playing music and would write songs as a part of just part of my daily life. And uh, as I got older, started to realize the, kind of the power of that and uh, that there was actually some merit to communicating my thoughts and ideas and struggles through music. And uh, obviously when Six Foot Midget formed, I had an outlet for that that was new and semi-professional and people actually would listen and dance to our songs and it was fun. And when that band ended, um, started writing more acoustic stuff, more dashboard confessional kind of stuff, kind of almost like a acoustic punk rock emo type thing. And um, that gave me a new outlet that was more serious and less, you know, silly and 
funny. Um, and eventually shifted into as a as a young adult uh, writing songs for the church. Uh, as I went into full time ministry in 2010, um, after having taken a good long break from doing any playing out or any music stuff, uh, while my family was getting up and started with my kids and my wife and everything, um, started writing songs for my church that I started serving in, and uh, that led to God opening all kinds of fun doors. And it's it's been something that. Uh, he's really blessed my life with and um, and really sparked a passion in my heart to to write songs for the church. That's awesome, man. And while you were talking about that, you actually just reminded me that I wrote a song once for my wife when we got married for her to walk down the aisle to. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, and it, uh, my uncle actually always makes fun of me because there's a line in the song that says, I've been waiting all my life for you. And uh, uh-huh. we got married when we were 18. Ah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. So definitely threw yeah. some cliche words in there that it didn't really make Yes. Fun. It's so funny because like <laughs> I listen back to I'll listen back to my old stuff, you know, just for fun. And I'm probably the only person in the world that listens to my old stuff. Um, but those albums that I did when I was, yeah, with Six Foot Midget, I was probably 19, 20 years old. Um my first solo EP was when I was probably 21 years old. I got married when I was 22 years old. And, you know, we're talking early 2000s. And here we are now. It's 2020. I'm 38 years old. I've got three kids. I've been married for almost 16 years. And I listen back to those songs and the ideas that were in those songs. And I'm just like, I am was so dumb and immature and I had no idea what life was about or love or God or anything, you know. So it it's funny how your perspective changes because when you're in the middle of it, you're like, oh yeah, this song, man, it's so cool and it's so good and smart and clever, you know? And yep. you look back on it and you're like, what a moron kid I was when I wrote this song. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just keep that in mind when you write songs now, 20 years from now, you won't really think they're all that great probably. <laughs> yeah, because of the blessed internet, <laughs> that lives on forever, right? <laughs> lives on forever, yes. It lives Your on kids forever. can make fun of you whenever they're adults. <laughs> That's right, yeah, dude, and yep. they totally will, yes. My daughter <laughs> totally already up. makes fun of me and my nice. old stuff, yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, and my podcast, current stuff. <laughs> yeah, she still makes fun of the new stuff too, huh? Yes, she does. Kids will tell you. Well, man, in every podcast interview, we always like to take a moment to bring a failure out into the open so we can laugh together and learn something along the way. Because the truth is, we all make mistakes and they all seem really heavy until we realize that even the pros out there make mistakes. So, Christian, tell us an embarrassing story. Well, gosh, you know, when I saw that we would be talking about this my my wheels started turning because it's a long list, Cade. <laughs> a long list. I started leading worship as a worship pastor in 2007, uh, as a bivocationally, you know. And since then, I mean, I have so many to choose from. I think I'll choose a, a fresh one, a relatively fresh one. Uh, last year, we walked in. So I serve at Battle Creek Church, you know, our Owasso campus. I'm the worship pastor here at our Owasso campus. I've been here a couple of years. And um, last year, we walked in Sunday morning, you know, and we're just ready to go, you know, turn everything on. And someone comes up to me and says, hey, Christian, the... Uh, the the visuals computer for ProPresenter it won't it won't turn on and I'm like oh, okay let me just give me a second I'll I'll, I'll I'll go take a look at it you know and I'm t- 
talking to my band and getting things set up and oh how was your day and just kind of being casually nonchalant thinking oh they probably just don't know how to turn on a computer or something no i mean obviously they do but in my head i'm like this is not an emergency well it was an emergency and uh you know 10 minutes go by and they're like hey dude it's not it's not turning on and i'm like mm, okay so i go back and i look I think that I somehow have the magic touch and can press the button in the right way to turn the computer on. It will not turn on. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if there was a power outage or if there was some update that happened that somehow failed in the middle of the night. All I know is that Wednesday night we had rehearsal. Everything was great. Sunday morning we walked in and this visuals computer is bricked. And I so then like, so the panic buttons in my head start going off, right? And I'm like okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And our visual system is, uh, is like super complicated. It's got like the, the computer goes into a switching machine within a rack and it's got all these drivers set up on it to make it all work correctly and be configured correctly with this black magic zippity doodah that I don't even really know all of the ins and outs of. Right. And, um, and so, I grab my laptop. I know I have a backup of the show on my laptop, right? Or of my ProPresenter files backed up to the cloud. I grab my laptop. I open up ProPresenter and I forget the fact that, okay, it's not, it doesn't have all the drivers to plug into the main system. So I tell everybody, I'm like, grab the portable TVs from the student area, get two portable TVs, the HDMI splitter, two long HDMI cables. And, oh, wait, oh, there's a brand new song this week. Oh, we can't do that song this time. So we're going to do this other song instead. And so I switch out a song in the set. All of this happening with about 20 minutes until the service starts. (laughs) Okay. And so we get everything set up. (laughs) I get a guy off the side of the stage running the visuals from my laptop. And this is this particular guy. His name's Terry. He's a wonderful dude. And it was his first Sunday serving as a visual producer. (laughs) And this happens. Of course. Yeah. So he's yeah. never run ProPresenter before in his life. And, or, you know, like, because we automate all of our, all of our lyrics with Ableton and ain't none of that happening now. Right. So, uh, and then in the middle of it all, because we switched from this new song to What a Beautiful Name, my keyboard player thought that we were doing What a Beautiful Name in the key that the other song was in instead of this key that Beautiful Name is in, D or something. Right. And so she starts coming in in the wrong key and the tracks are in the other key and we're all in the other key and we have to kill tracks. And that really could have been on Worship Fails. Like it totally is meme worthy. It was awful. It's the only time that I've been here that we've had anything close to that happen. It was bad. And so it's just amazing how one thing, one key component of your system going wrong can cause you to change so many other factors in your set, you know, and you make these decisions based on the information you have, but it's like a domino effect. And so that was my epic fail of probably the last three, four years. It was terrible. Um, So a similar thing happened Easter of 2018 at my last church. We walked in, this was a portable church, a couple thousand people or whatever, you know, Easter Sunday morning. And the projector is dead. And like, we literally have to like, it's a portable church we can't do anything. It's, it's Sunday mornings. $30,000 projector is dead. 
So we have to pull a couple TVs from the student area and use that for our visuals. It was, it was awful. So I don't know. It just happens. It does. It sounds like you guys just need an overhead projector as backup, like with some transparencies, like the That's old school. That's <laughs> exactly what we need. And then we can just write the chords above the words. Perfect. And then it doesn't matter. You, you know exactly what key you're supposed to be in. So. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> yes, dude. You know what's so funny is, and I think it's kind of sad. We have a whole generation, actually a couple generations removed now, that will never know the transparency overhead projector setup. And I know. And how far we've come. So <laughs> maybe we should post some pictures in the show notes just so maybe that we the young should. people know what we're talking about here. What I want to know is this is the crazy thing. We had hymnals, right, with sheet music inside of them. And someone said one day, you know what? We want to do something totally groundbreaking and different. We're going to get an overhead projector, which looks like garbage, but they had to say it's worth it. To do this, to do this song by Keith Green, we got to have that overhead project. Dude, I would rather just print out pages with lyrics on them than do an overhead projector, right? Like, right. I don't know. It's crazy. It's like, <laughs> I oh, wait, let me it. move my science class notes over. You know, <laughs> here's our chord chart for today. I would have liked anyway. to be the the switcher back then, <laughs> taking those transparencies yes. off and on. Oh man, the, best the job key is you got to make sure you have that piece of paper so you can reveal the words one at a Perfect. time. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's pro level. There's right an art there. to it. That's pro yeah. level. So <laughs> good stuff, man. All right, so let's talk about songwriting for worship because I've heard a lot of worship leaders over the years who want to write songs, and some of them have already written songs, but they have no idea what to do next. So I'm glad you're here with us so you can help us sort these things out. So what would you say to all the aspiring songwriters out there? Like, should they press into this journey? Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say if for no other reason than your own personal spiritual development, yes, press into the journey. Um, I think that in the, I mean, it's, it's there's no doubt. You just look at Spotify and the number of songs, worship songs alone that are uploaded to Spotify every day. It's, you know, in the thousands and uh, there is an awakening, a whole new renaissance era that we're living in of people writing songs for the church, and technology obviously has has aided that tremendously, but also um, people having permission, I think, has really helped too. They, we've seen churches large and small and every size in between have a, you know, a bard, so to speak, or a psalmist, so to speak. Um, God lays something on their heart, they have talent, and they can actually rally their team around them and write a song for their church that's actually enjoyable, and it, then it becomes a part of that church's unique hymnology. And so there are so many benefits to it. It builds community. It helps you with your spiritual development and your relationship with God. Um, so yeah, uh, I definitely would say do it. Go for it. Awesome. And you kind of answered this question already, but maybe you can expand on it a little bit more. But is it okay to write songs that are just like for my church, or are the only songs worth writing the ones that hit the masses? Well, I definitely would say it is okay to write songs that are just for your church. In fact, every single professional, quote-unquote, professional worship songwriter, if you ask them, what do I do next? What do I do next? They say, dude, don't worry about what you do next write songs for your church, write songs for your church. Do not sit down in your office or wherever you are, your living room and say, okay, 
you know, I'm going to put pen to paper and write the next, how great is our God or whatever the, you know, insert name of mega hit here. Right. I'm gonna write the next oceans right here. And um, there's a lot of reasons that that advice is given from professionals. First of all, the world's already got that song. You know, the world's already got how great is our God. Um, and, and guess what else? God wants you to sing songs to him. It's not about mega hits at all. And then it's also virtually impossible for your song to ever even get on the radio or TV or whatever it takes to become a mega hit. So yeah, just write songs for your church. I will say this, um, in order for that to happen though, you do need to develop your craft and you need to develop your songwriting community around you. Uh, don't go at it alone and operate in a vacuum. I made that mistake for years. And guess that, guess what? At the end of the day, when you work on it by yourself, guess who's the only person who cares about it? You, you know? So uh, the more people you have involved and, in, you know, you got to keep it to people you trust. But uh, I would say if you can get a, a core group of two or three or four other songwriters and Maybe maybe they're within your worship team. Maybe it's your maybe you bring your pastor in to help you with like the the theological content of some lyrics. You know, because guess what? You bring your pastor in on a song. All of a sudden, it's not just about the worship team. Now it's his ability to breathe life into it from his standpoint. And and a lot of times, senior pastors and preaching pastors are great lyricists. What much better than you probably? And they know the Bible inside and out. I mean, I would assume. So, you know, um, uh, I would encourage you to, uh, I, that's what I would encourage you to do is is get other eyes on it. Get other people in that writing room with you. Um, r- read some books. Read uh, Writing Worship by Christy Nordoff, a great book about writing songs for your church. And, um, and then talk to your pastor. Have a communication with your pastor. What does our church need to be singing right now or six months from now, really? Six months from now, What's your sermon series going to be about? Is it about tithing? Let's write a song about tithing. He'll love that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> is it you know? But is it or seriously? Are we doing a song about unity? Right? Are we doing Are we doing a sermon about um, you know Daniel and the lions? Then right? Let's like let's write a song that kind of uses some of that language from Daniel. Like my church is in a Daniel series right now, and uh, you know, so we're doing a lot of fun songs like Another in the Fire. You know, it really helps us. Uh, connect the dots. Um, so yeah, I would say yes, definitely write songs for your church with the blessing of your pastor and with the help of your team. So going back to the assembling the team thing that you were just talking about, like writing with a team, what does your team look like? Gosh, man. So I'm in such a weird, different kind of place now. I, I'm a really outgoing guy. You know that about me, Cade, because I, you know, we met. Uh, what last week <laughs> and uh and i already feel like you're my brother you know um you came in with I, lots I, of energy yeah man that's that's how i roll uh, yep freaks a lot of people out but i would say i just try to meet as many people as i can within these circles not just within the context of of my church because uh where i serve now we have six campuses here in tulsa alone two overseas um, we have an army of musicians within the church and, and lots of resources. And we write as a group of worship pastors together. Um, but then on the, on, the, on the other side of that, I write with a lot of people outside of my church, just friends that I've met that I respect as songwriters and that I know write good music. Um, Zoom has, we've all been forced this 
through this pandemic to learn how to use Zoom. Um, Zoom can be a really powerful tool for songwriting. Just open a Google Doc. Both of you are on it. Get on Zoom with somebody. And don't be afraid to reach out to somebody, too, if you admire their work. Just, you know, what's the worst they can say? Sorry, all my co-writes are done through my publisher right now. I can't do a I can't do a co-write with you. Sorry. Or maybe someday, maybe someday. You know, but you can you don't have to have someone just in your town or in your church to co-write with. Um, but my team, uh, my worship team, um here at at this particular campus, um, you know, we don't necessarily write songs together as a team, but I'll use songwriting at my campus as a discipleship opportunity. So, for example, one guy here in our campus uh, brought a song to me because he's really passionate about groups. And we have a a value here at Battle Creek that life is better together. That's one of the things we say all the time. Life is better together. And boy, do we believe that this year more than ever. And so, he brought a song last year called Better Together. And this, you know, he's not, he, he came in self-admittedly like, hey, I'm not a performance writer, guitar player or singer or whatever, but God put this song in my heart and he brought the lyrics in, showed me what it was all about. And we sat down for a couple hours and did a co-write. And at the end of it, had a kind of a cool song that could even be almost like a, sort of like a commercial for groups, you know, um, saying that life is better together. Um, and so, you know, in a sense, now that that gentleman's a part of my team as well. And so I have dozens and dozens of people that I co-write with. Um, I try to do at least one co-write a week, um, some, sometimes more like two or three. Um, and that's with people everywhere from, you know, Minnesota and, and Michigan, Ohio, Florida, Virginia, D.C., Nashville, you know, um, and and just people that we've been able to write together. So it's a, uh, it's an ever growing team, you know, what about when it comes uh, time to lay down those instrumental tracks? Do you have, is that a different team that you call upon or do you use your church worship band? Like how does that go down? Well, for me, it's been do whatever it takes to get it done. And it's changed with every project that I've been a part of. Um, it, it's, it's ever evolving. You use the tools that you have at the time that you make the thing, you know, <laughs> that's, that's just kind of how I've, I've always operated. I've, I've had the, I've had the honor of releasing almost, I guess, 60 songs on Spotify, iTunes and all that over, over my career. And, um, every single one of those projects was a different mix of people in a different situation. So, um, take for example, Grace Rising. Grace Rising was an album that I did uh, with my worship team when I was in Arlington, Virginia in the DC area. I was there for about four years at that church and we released two albums. And so the first album was a studio album. I used almost everyone on the worship team to to do that record. Um, our, our producer uh, for live audio at that church, his main bread and butter job was he owned a studio. And so we went into his studio and the church paid him. And we did that record utilizing those musicians at the church. And uh, the second album we did was a live acoustic album where we did five or six songs acoustically from that studio album and retracked everything just in various different venues as we could. Um, 
here at Battle Creek. Um, when Battle Creek Collective does a song, we have a guy named Ryan Crawford who acts as our producer. Um, it's kind of his job to figure out who plays what. And so he'll, whoever, you know, whoever the, he usually does the drums and bass and things like that. But then as far as electric guitar, we've got a guy named Brandon Autry that's just a killer electric guitar player. And, uh, and he'll play on that. So some stuff, you know, I've done everything myself. I've done, I've tracked all the instruments myself. Um, I like the fact that we live in a world where you can have a computer and you can pick from a lot of different audio workstation programs like, like, uh, Logic or GarageBand even, which is super cheap. Um, I like to use Reason, like we were talking about earlier. I'm a Reason user. I'm like the only guy in the world that uses Reason, but it's really, really cool. And, uh, you don't have to have a Pro Tools setup and a, and a crazy studio setup to make quality audio recordings anymore. You also don't have to live in the same place as everybody else to make quality audio recordings anymore. Um, my band Forever Again is an indie rock band. We put out an album in July of this year. Well, that band is a, a duo between me and my friend Chris Wetterman. I live here in Tulsa. Chris Wetterman lives in D.C. You know, and so like he went to a studio with a studio drummer and drum, you know, the drummer drummed everything. Chris played all the bass. Chris played all the electric stuff. Um, I programmed a bunch of the keyboard stuff and did all the vocals. I, you know, I sent him all my stuff. We sent it all to the mixing house. They mixed it. They sent it to the mastering house. They mastered it. You know, you don't have to live in the same place. Um, so it's just, a, it's just, you use the tools you have. If you have a, an iPad, one of my songs, uh, Guard My Heart, I recorded the whole thing on an iPad, you know, and then sent it to get mixed and mastered. Does it sound the very best of anything I've released? No, it does not. But, you know, just keep in mind that if the song is decent, um, you can find a way. I think the key is building relationships and always being thirsty for for more knowledge as far as, you know, how how do I get this accomplished? Yeah, man, I love that you mentioned like just use whatever resources you have available at the time because I know a lot of people just get stuck with like, ah, oh, I don't have the same band that I used to have or I don't have the band that I want to have just yet. And so they they stop songwriting. So that's cool. Well, that and, and you, yeah, and keep in mind the process here. Like on a professional level, you have writers that are employed by publishing companies that go in a back room with other people and write a song or whatever over three hours. They come out of that with a song, and if it's worth anything, then maybe the publishing company will put together a demo of that song, right? You know, and using studio musicians that have never had anything to do with writing any of it, right? And then if they get a demo that they can actually pitch to an artist, then an artist might actually cut the thing. And then that's a whole different thing, right? So like, I think the important thing is just separating out. People get so close to their art. And and when you write a song, you have to think, is this just a song for just me and the Lord? There are a lot of songs that I've written that are just for me and God. No one else is ever gonna hear them. And I just sing them to him. And I'm never gonna record them. I just sing them to him every day. There are some songs that are just for me and a few people or just for me and my wife. I released a song earlier this year called uh, My Happy Ending. And I, you know, it's a song I wrote for my wife on our anniversary. And I had my daughter do the cover art for it, you know, so it's really special to me and my wife and my daughter and no one else in the world, right? It has like, I don't know, like three or 4,000 plays. Like it's nothing, you know, compared to what it could be on Spotify. It's not about commercial viability. 
You know, is it just a song for for this room that I'm in with this few hundred people or whatever at church for just a time as this, right? Um, some people in the church world, they'll play a song on Sunday morning, record it right there. Like a lot of audio consoles have recording built in. So just record it to a thumb drive, you know? Um, I think that that's the key is just figuring out what is this song for and sending it out accordingly, you know? Yep. Good stuff. So I think um, a lot of people, you know, just they get stuck somewhere along the process and maybe just kind of give up. Is there a part of the songwriting process that you tend to get stuck like that and want to give up that you have to press through? (laughs) Well, I'm a really persistent guy. And, you know, on projects of any kind, I like to stick with it until it's done. In fact, I don't like leaving a project until it's done. On the Enneagram, I'm a type three, four wing, and uh, and and threes. You know, we're the achievers. We want we want to do the project and be the best at it, and you know, and get our achievement done, so that we can be important. You know, and uh, <laughs> so um, so I try actually really hard not to get stuck. In fact, I cut corners not to get stuck. That's the that's the downfall of a three, right? Um, and that's where songwriting with other people become so important. Um, so I don't write any songs just by myself hardly ever anymore. Uh, my last worship EP, Alive and Free, uh, two of the songs on that six-song album were written by just me alone. And even those two songs, I had people's input and feedback to help craft it along the way from a few years prior when I started writing the song to when it actually became a a song on the internet, right? So um, every other one was at least a co-write with one other person. And uh, a lot of times we can, we have strengths. Everybody has strengths and personalities. As songwriters, we have strengths. And so my strength is structure and melody. I'm really good with structure and melody. And you can take a songwriter uh, inventory on writingworship.com. You can take like a little survey. It'll tell you what you're best at based on how you write. And um, I can't speak, li- speak highly enough about writingworship.com. It's really good. So, Christy Nordoff, send me a check for endorsing your thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but no, it's, uh, it's really changed my life. That's why I believe in it. And uh, so, maybe you find someone who's really good with melodic uh, stuff if you're not good with melody. maybe. So, I'm a melody guy, but maybe my lyrics aren't as strong. So, I need to write with someone who's super good with lyrics, right? Um, and so, it helps you not get stuck. It helps you get unstuck. And so if you are stuck on a song, maybe you and another person are stuck on a song, bring in a third person. Don't be afraid, right? Um, that's that's what I'd recommend. Better together, right? Better together, right? We're better together. Yeah, man, I agree. I think we like to uh, get away in our silos, especially us creative folk, you know, because we don't want anybody intruding on our... Uh, creative the thing that we've created but yeah it's always better together and you find that out once you do jump over your fear of somebody else getting in the process you're like oh well yeah look at that and and that being said that's one of the reasons that i really caution and anyone that's done a little bit of this will tell you this um, when you're writing a song you're going to record it somehow whether it's just a voice memo on your phone or whatever but then there's going to come a point where you like really kind of want to get in it, into it on a computer or something make sure you don't <laughs> spend like this i made this mistake on a lot of the grace rising stuff like 
when I was writing those songs, it was probably 2012, something like that. And I was just getting started on any kind of music production studio type stuff at home. And so I wrote a song called Adopted by the King. And so I wrote this song, Adopted by the King. And I'm like, okay, cool. This song, oh, this song is so good. I'm just going gonna, gonna to produce the heck out of this thing. And so I get into my software and I program drums and I program bass and I program strings and I program, and I play all the electric guitars and I do all this keyboard arpeggios and stuff. And at the end of it all, I've got a song. It's about four and a half minutes long. Seems good. I show it to somebody who's a songwriter and they're like, you need to change that line or you need to change that whole part, dude. You need to take that out and put it somewhere else or just delete it and write something else there. And I'm like, what do you mean? I can't delete it. I spent 40 hours producing a demo. I can't do that, right? So don't do that. Like if the song isn't done, if you haven't let other people listen to it in its raw form, then don't produce a demo because the more people you bring into it, the more opinions you're going to have involved. And so make sure that the song is complete before you start demoing it full band. Man, that's like or it's going to crush your dreams. <laughs> what? <laughs> So that's like a pro tip right there that everybody needs to listen to. It's like that minimum viable product is what they'd call it in business. You know, just ship it, see if people like it before you spend all this time producing it. Yes. I go to this uh, conference every year, Experience Conference in Orlando. It's an amazing conference. I'm a huge proponent of of trying to get people to go to this conference. I try try to push people to it because it's such life-changing. Part of the conference is for songwriters is listening panels and they'll have people like Aaron Rice come and do a listening panel. Aaron Rice wrote Made to Love by Toby Mack. He wrote Good Morning by Mandisa. He's written a bunch of stuff with Hawk Nelson and other people. And Aaron's a pro, man. He's amazing. He'll listen to your song and people come in with fully produced songs and he's like, okay, well, you need to change this and you need to change that and you need to change this. And you can just see their, their hopes and dreams dying in their eyes because they spent all this money or time at least creating something that now Aaron Rice has just ripped to shreds to make better, (laughs) you know? Yep. So good to know. I think the the whole podcast was worth that little tidbit right there. That's going to save people some money and it's going to save them some time and frustration. (laughs) Well, it's too late for me. So just save yourself. (laughs) All right, man. One more question for you. What's the most budget-friendly way to record a song that still sounds good? Oh, man. I would say the most budget-friendly way would probably be on your on your iPad or something like that. Uh, like I said before, um, you know, the microphones, kind of like the cameras on phones are so good now. Mm-hmm. Um, the microphones aren't half bad either, really. And with some wizardry and post-production stuff, you know, it actually can sound pretty decent. Um, so I would say, you know, honestly, I would personally not do that again. I did that just because I didn't know any better. Um, I would say if you have a computer that will do GarageBand, like just do GarageBand. And um, there's a company that makes these things called iRigs. And it's a little tiny... You know the iRig, Cade, right? You know the iRig. The iRig isn't half bad. I mean, it's a little thing that'll convert from USB to XLR, and you can borrow a microphone from your friend or from your church if your if your worship leader will let you do that, and you know, plug it straight into your computer or even into your iPad, and all of a sudden now you've got a tool that you can use to to record your guitar or your or your voice in a half decent way. Um, I would say that that's definitely good enough to create a demo. Uh, may not be good enough to, you know, create a commercially released 
song, but it's definitely a, the most budget friendly way. It would be some kind of mobile device with an iRig and just a cheap microphone, like a, a you know, sure SM58 or a 57 would even work. Perfect. Have you uh, heard the new MacBook? Uh, how it records? No, like, I don't. I think it's the 2020 version of it. So me and my brother, we tested it versus. I forget what the model of these mics are called. What are these mics that we're using? SM7B. Yeah, SM7B. And so we A and B'd it with the new MacBook and how it records. And you almost couldn't even tell a difference. Are you it's, serious? Just like the ambient microphone on the yeah. computer? Yeah. See? So there you go. All you need is $4,000 for a That's new it. MacBook Pro. <laughs> so if you happen to have the new MacBook Pro, you're you're in good shape. Just use that. <laughs> well, That's man, this right. Was- but yeah. This I mean, so I was awesome. gonna say like, yeah, it was, it was. This has been really fun. I mean, I, for listeners at home or whatever, if you are like one step above the cheapest version, um, I use a an interface. Uh, what is it? The Focusrite Claret uh, series, and it's it's not too expensive. You can go on Reverb.com or eBay, and you can get them used. So just get a you know a hundred dollar interface, even like the Scarlet version, or um. I think Avid even makes a hundred dollar fast track duo or something like that. Um, for a hundred bucks, you can get an interface that will take your microphone and plug it into your computer in a more legitimate way. You know, um, if you want to upgrade from GarageBand to Logic, that's a couple hundred bucks, but it's well worth it because it gives you a, a whole lot more tools. Um, or you can use Reason like cool people like me do. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, really, it's just you. Can, I, I don't know any better. I just use reason because it's what I know. Um, so that's you know for and so you're talking maybe five hundred bucks. Um, you can actually have a legitimate semi-professional uh, setup. You know. Yep, I use the Focusrite Scarlet on pretty much anything where I only need two inputs. Yes, it's, it's really some of the best sounding preamps that are out there for. I mean, for a hundred bucks, it's awesome. Exactly. Yeah, and the Claret wasn't too much more expensive and it's got four uh dual jacks you know four preamps on it um the yeah whatever whatever model that is that has the four that's what i have and and it works great sweet man well christian this has been so awesome Uh, thank you for being with us today uh what's the best way for people to connect with you well, you can go to my website, uh, knucklesmusic.com, and my last name is spelled really weird. It's N-U-C-K-E-L-S, so knuckles music, no K on the front, uh, .com is my website, and you can check out what new music is coming out there. I'm also on Spotify, YouTube, and all those places, um, and you can also get my music from Alive and Free and Grace Rising on multitracks.com. Awesome. Well, don't miss this opportunity to connect with Christian Knuckles and be sure to go check out his album called Alive and Free. You'll find it everywhere. Like you said, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, wherever you listen to music on multitracks.com. So you can like pull that sucker in and and play it at church next Sunday if you want to. Yeah. And I highly recommend it. (laughs) Well, as as always, thanks for being with us. We need your help to get this podcast out to everybody who needs it. So please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you are using. And don't forget to subscribe so we can let you know when the next episode comes out. Go implement what you learned in this podcast and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.